license plate CX5-5257. Please move your vehicle. You are double parked. Thank you. All right, good afternoon, Metro Praise International. Hello. How is everybody doing this afternoon? Good. All right, all right, good to see you guys. Good to see you guys on January 15, 2017. Thank you so much for taking time to come worship with us in our second 1 p.m. service. It's good to see you guys today. I'm Pastor Tony, I'm one of the campus pastors here at Metro Praise. Uh, if this is your first time here, we thank you as well for taking time out of your schedule to come worship with us. We let you guys know that you guys are loved. And so why don't we all stand before we begin? All right. So we always begin our service with a testimony. And I would like to call up my dear brother, Augustine Roman, to just give a testimony. Yes, give him a warm welcome as he comes up to testify what the good Lord has done in his life. Amen. Thank you, Tony. You know, I was I was driving home one day, and I just I always like to meditate on what God does, and just how good He is, and how much life and joy He gives into each and every believer. And it just I started pondering and thinking how my life was before I met God, and how I tried to do everything on my own. You know, I tried to move up in life through jobs on my own and it just always crashed and burned and relationships that always crashed and burned even being a loving brother to a family just didn't amount to anything it always like an entropy it just breaks down into death you know and i started thinking when i came into the lord and started living for the lord that not only did he set me free from being a hateful person and the addiction of drugs you know but also he gave life to everything that I tried to do on my own. You know, he just, he gave life to my relationship. I'm a married man now. And <laughs> it's honestly the most amazing thing that I've ever done. You know, there's so much favor in my job now. You know, just to hear my boss's boss say they'll have a heart attack if I ever quit. <laughs> um, and just, even though there's been trials in my life, they always bring forth joy you know it's just not the physical aspects of this world but the spiritual aspects as well that even in times of trouble i'm always filled with joy peace and righteousness you know and i just thank god so much for that and i just want to give this verse in reflection to that in john chapter 10 verse 10 it says the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are such a good God. You provide for those who put their faith in you, Lord. You continue to go before us, Lord. You continue to help us grow like a tree, always bearing fruit for you, Lord, and always bearing fruit in life, Lord. And I just thank you, Lord. I don't know where I would have been without you, Lord. And, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would always continue to be the center of my life and every believer's life, Lord. I pray that we would always continue to abide in your word, Lord, and what you think is right. Lord, I lift this service unto you, Lord. I, we are hungry for you, Lord. I pray that your presence will be tangible, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Let's get excited to worship the Lord, for he is here. 
Lord, we want you to have your way. I pray that every heart here is seeking your face right now. And as we move on, God, I pray that each person here would be a lover of your presence, a seeker of your face, God. When you called to me, you said, seek my face. And my heart responded, Lord, I am coming. My heart has heard you say, God, I pray that everyone here would seek your face.
Receiving your impartation, the nations are offering. Say it out. 
Come on, lift up your voices. Let's keep singing that. Lift, raise up your hands all across this room. We want his kingdom to come. We want God's will to be done in our land. On earth as it is in heaven. Come on, keep going through. Jesus, your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done. of your presence in this place. We are disciples, oh God, that want to see your kingdom invade earth, Jesus. If that is you in this place today, I want you to start crying out for souls. I want us to intercede and pray for Chicago. Come on, guys, if you want to see this city changed for Jesus Christ, to see his peace, his righteousness invade our land, we're going to pray right now. God, I lift up all the lost in our city. They have been blinded. They have been blinded, oh God. And we declare, oh God, that right now that they would hear the message of the gospel. That when we go out street witnessing Jesus, that the seeds that are planted, that we would see a harvest of souls raise up. Come on, cry out for your city today. Pray for three people that are on your heart. A neighbor, a co-worker, somebody you go to school with. Jesus, we need you in this city. We want your kingdom to come, oh God. Invade the atmosphere, oh God, in Chicago. We want to see revival in our schools, revival in our government. We want the blood of Jesus to cover over every neighborhood. That violence will decrease, oh God. And that your truth, the truth, oh God, that comes from you and you alone would be upheld again in our city and this nation, oh God. Come on, let's sing your kingdom come. Jesus, we need you. We need you, oh God, in every aspect of our government. We need you to restore morality again, oh God, in this great nation. Start in Chicago, start it in us. Come on, if you want God to use you as the agent, to use you as the disciple, to bring his kingdom on earth. I want you to sing this out. Glory be unto your name, Lord. We thank you that when we pray, you hear. And God, we thank you for this service. We thank you that we have the power of the Holy Ghost inside of us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would use us to bear fruit, to bear fruit of discipleship, to bear the fruit of evangelism, to allow you to shine your light through our lives wherever we go, whatever we say, whatever we do, that we would shine bright for you. In Jesus' name, be glorified in us and through us. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Woo. Give your neighbor a high five. You guys can be seated at this time. We welcome you all to Metro Praise International. Thank you for joining us here. 
For those that may not know who I am, my name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the apostolic elders here, and I'm going to preach the gospel to you today. We preach a simple message that Jesus saves every single week so that you always have the opportunity to turn your life to Jesus. And I'm going to be preaching today from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. How many of you guys get excited in this place when you hear that? How many of you guys believe in Jesus today even though you don't see him? How many of you guys know that he loves you and that you love him even though you don't see him? You're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy because you know that he has saved you. If you're in this room and you have not experienced that, you don't know that, I'm giving you an invitation to come. Jesus says, come, come. He knocks on the door of your heart. If you open the door, he will come in and eat with you, fellowship with you. Today is the day to get right with God. Don't let one more moment pass you by. He died on the cross for your sins, your sicknesses, and your sorrows. There is nothing that you can experience on this earth that will separate you from the love of God. He died to give you everything. He died to give you life. He died to give you meaning and purpose, joy and peace. That is why we pray, let your kingdom come. There's nothing that compares to the kingdom of heaven. We want it on this earth. We messed it up, but Jesus fixed it. And the only way that you can be brought in is through the blood of Jesus. Allow him to wash you clean, make you new. The Bible says you must be born again. So with all eyes closed all across this room, I want to give you an opportunity to be born again today, to allow God to breathe new life into you, to breathe his spirit into you, and to make you alive through Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for this powerful message, Lord. We believe in you and we love you even though we do not see you. And you have filled us with joy, oh God, because we know that the end result of our faith is the salvation of our souls. Our souls belong to you. You hold us in your hand, and we could be with you forevermore in eternity, oh God. And I pray that today people would repent in this room if they're not right with you, if they have not followed your commands and lived for you wholeheartedly, that today would be a new day for them, that they would repent and confess their sins and turn so that you could heal them and save them. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise in this place. You guys can be uh, can stand up to your feet. If you mean business with Jesus today and you want to get right with God, we're going to have prayer workers up here at the front ready to pray with you, lead you to the Lord, teach you how to be a disciple, to get plugged into this church so that you could live your life for God. Amen. So I encourage you, come and receive prayer today. Don't let this opportunity pass you by. Get right with God. Mean it. Get connected to the church. We're going to confess our confession of faith at this time. This is our Christian worldview. This is what we believe. We stand together with all the brothers and sisters uh, in Christ all throughout the world. So let's recite it on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world the Son who purchased my salvation and his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. 
I believe the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe Church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. All right. Why don't you guys spend some time fellowshipping? Come up if you need prayer. Give somebody a hug, a hug or a handshake. All right, who's excited to be a Metro Praise International today? Nobody? Who's excited? Come on, make some noise. We welcome you guys all to MPI. Thank you for joining us for our 1 p.m. service. If this is your first time or you haven't been with us for a while, we welcome you. Keep on coming back. Our services here at MPI are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. This is our family service, so we have child care. Actually, our King's Kids program in the back for children infant to 11 years old. And then we also have Elevate Fridays at 7 p.m. every week for students 11 to 18 years old. So if you know anybody in that age group or if you're here and you're in that age group, keep coming or come on by for Fridays. It will change your life. God is doing awesome things in the lives of our young people. If you weren't here last week, we want to announce to you guys the app that we have for Metro Praise International. You can download it right now. It's an amazing app. It makes everything so easy and convenient to find. You have the 365-day devotional there. Our sermons are there. The sermon notes that you could use during the service. 
the disciples giving book lessons, so many amazing things you could give, your tithes and offerings through the app. So if you haven't done it already, download it and just be excited about all that it has to offer and tell your friends and family about it too. It's a great tool to use when you're evangelizing, uh, trying to tell people about the church. So many free resources there. It's awesome. Uh, our services, oh, sorry, our vision here, uh, we have a vision, a strategy, and a goal here at MPI. Our vision is loving God and loving people, the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us. And then our strategy is to connect, mentor, and send. We want to connect you to the church through our life groups. We want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. And then we want to send you out to do evangelism so that you keep preaching the gospel to the lost people around you, just like as it was, as it, when it was preached to you so that you got saved, we now in turn keep going and uh, sending out. And then we want to have, we have a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. If that gets you excited, say amen. Praise the Lord. So look to your neighbor, say connect. We want you guys to connect to the church through our life groups. Here's a snapshot of the life groups that we have for this week. You can find the schedule for the whole quarter on your handouts that you just got that you just got passed to you. Kicking it off today is our marriage group. We have child care provided when they meet, 5 p.m. today at the church. How many married folks do we have in the house today? Come on, you want to be there? It's awesome. It's so much fun. We really encourage you in your marriage. Tuesday, we have the Resistance Life Group. 6 p.m. here at the church. Wednesday, King's Kids, infant to 11 years old, 6.30 here at the church. We have Royal Rangers for Boys, Impact for Girls, an awesome ministry for your children to get discipled and plugged in. Uh, bring them on by if they're in that age group. Don't let them miss out on an amazing ministry. Thursday, we have the gang outreach, 18 years and up, here at the church meeting at 7. Two adult Bible studies for you guys, one at the Govea's house, the other one at the Vivid's house, 18 years and up. Be there at 7 o'clock. It will change your life. Be encouraged throughout the week with the word of God and the fellowship of your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And then Saturday, we have the ambassadors, 18 years and, uh, 11 to 18 years old, 1 p.m. here at the church. And then we have uh, Yuli and Ashley that, that lead that, right? Wave your hand in the air. Any teenagers in the house, you want to be here at 1 p.m. on, on uh, Saturday, it'll be awesome for you. Now we want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. The 101 book is called Welcome to Your New Life. This is done one-on-one -on -one with a leader in the church. And then you graduate into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples, so that we could train you to be a leader one day, appointed as a deacon or an elder. Then we want to send you out to do evangelism, preaching the gospel on the streets. Every Saturday from 5 to 8, they hit the streets, preaching the gospel to complete strangers because the Bible says we must go. Jesus said go and make disciples, and we must preach to them so they could hear the message of salvation. So to recap, MPI have, has a vision, a strategy, and a goal. A vision of loving God and loving people, a strategy to connect, mentor, and send, and a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Can I get a hallelujah? Praise the Lord. Are you guys excited to give your tithes and offerings today? Well, belongs to Jesus. We believe that the Bible teaches that a tithe is 10% of our total income given regularly to the church. Anything above the tithe is an amount between you and the Lord that's called an offering, and we designate it here towards missions and towards the building fund. So let's get into our lesson for today, lesson three. The tithe was established in the law of Moses. You can find this lesson through the app. The tithe is 10% of our total income given to God faithfully. We're going to be reading in Leviticus chapter 27, verses 30 through 34. A tithe of everything from the land... Whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Whoever would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of the value to it. Every tithe of the herd and flock, 
Every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. No one may pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. If anyone does, does make a substitution, both the animal and its substitute become holy and cannot be redeemed. These are the commands the Lord gave Moses at Mount Sinai for the Israelites. So let's look into the two main points of that passage of scripture. Number one, the tithe represents our best. The people of Israel received strict instructions regarding tithing. They were to give God their best, both in agriculture and livestock. So God doesn't want our leftovers. He doesn't want us to tithe whenever we feel like it or whenever we feel we have enough to give. God wants the best of the best of the best. And that's what tithes and offerings represents, that we put God first, he gets the best of it, and whatever's left over, we trust that he's going to provide for our needs with, with the, what's left over to us. And number two, the tithe was commanded in the law of Moses. The instructions that Moses was given were God's commands, not just his suggestions. So we don't do it when we feel like it sometimes. We do it because God commands it. And when we love God, we obey his commands, right? So we want to honor God in everything, beginning with our tithe and offering. So here in summary, just as God commanded the Israelites to give a tenth of their best livestock and vegetation in the old covenant, we in the new covenant should give... God 10% of our best income. So not only is it a spiritual principle in our life as believers, it is also a command from the Lord. So let's apply this to our life in two ways. Number one, understand that tithing is not just a suggestion, but it is a command from God. And two, don't pick and choose when and how you give to God. Always give God your best 10%. If you want to be blessed and you want that to be uh, come into fruition into your life, let's confess this over our lives on the count of three. One, two, three. The tithe was implied with Cain and Abel, revealed to Abraham, established in the law of Moses, and is still relevant for today. It comes with a blessing and curse. It must be qualitative, a priority, and a faithful practice in our lives. The tithe advances the kingdom of God, tests our maturity, breaks the attitude of greed through obedience, is mandated for all, and brings us into partnership with God and his church. If that gets you excited, stand up to your feet with me this afternoon as we prepare to give the Lord our best today. Our tithes and our offerings. Again, a tithe is 10% of our total income. Offering we designate towards missions and towards building. Please be specific about the amount you want to go towards each section with your first and last name if you want it to be credited to you at the end of the year. Here are seven ways that you could give at MPI. Number one, in the front during the offering time. In the back with a credit or debit card in the wall-mounted drop boxes. You could use the MPI app now to give. Ch you can use Chase Quick Pay at MPI. You can use Chase Quick Pay at give at mpichurch.org. You can text MPI Give to 206-859-9405. And lastly, you could go online at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. Isn't that awesome? So exciting. Here's our new building fund for the year. We're really excited about replacing our shed, so we want to get a new shed. We want to get some new equipment, a projector, a new screen, change the floor there in the foyer to match this beautiful floor on the stage. So this is what we want you to do if you haven't done so already. Number one, pray. Ask God for the amount that he wants you to give. Number two, listen to what the Holy Spirit tells you. And number three, give and give generously. So we want to be obedient to God. Nothing is done by just one person. When we come together as the body of Christ and we each hear what, what the Lord says that we are obedient, his purpose is accomplished. The big picture is done. Amen. We did it last year and we're going to do it again. So let's recite this verse together. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly 
so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Thank you so much for your generosity. You guys can come up and give. Oh, I'm sorry. We're going to pray. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for your word. Lord, we want to be obedient disciples, giving our tithes and our offerings. We want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Use what is given today. Multiply it for your kingdom. Bless the gift, the giver. Bless and prosper your people with increased promotions and raises. We want your kingdom to come to earth. Use us, oh God, to allow the gospel to be preached to the ends of the earth through our giving. Transform the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please come forward as you give, and we thank you so much for your generosity. Amen. How many love Jesus? Can I get a what? What? Come on, look to your neighbor and say, it's going to get on like Donkey Kong to the break of break of dawn. Can you say all that? All right. Oh, look at you. Good to see you. How are you doing? Welcome, welcome. Open up your Bibles with me to the book of Timothy. Come on, let's do it. Let's do it. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. You guys are going to love today's message. It is on the pillar of the truth. Today we're going to be talking about our strategy, which is connect, mentor, send. You guys heard that in the, uh, the announcements, always a part of our, our services. So what I want to do is explain to you what's been going on here um, in these uh, services, especially at this time of the year. So basically, if you would have asked me like 10 years ago as a pastor just starting off in Chicago, if you would have asked me, do you think race in America is going to be a big deal? Like, do you think that would be a subject that a lot of people will be on? And, and 10 years ago, I would have said, no way, no way. I, I just came out of the South 
Uh, much of the South is, is, is segregated. It's free. Uh, I've met some racist people, but very, very minority. I would say it's, it's a very small issue even there. Uh, take, for example, uh, you're looking at uh, like New Orleans, which was predominantly kind of like your southern bells, you know, white people living in these real ornate houses on St. Charles and so forth. Very similar to like a Miami, you know, very colonial. Uh, New Orleans ha has had an African-American mayor as long as I can remember, just going back and back and back. Uh, so many of the uh, like chief of police, um, uh, the, the commissioners or the aldermen were there. They call them parish leaders, uh, parishes where we have awards here. But the long story short is I would say no problem. I mean, New Orleans, which would be one of the worst uh, uh, places that was affected by slavery, now has a freedom for all people. Okay, But what happened... Uh, in America, I think over the last, uh, say, eight years has been very traumatic. It's, it's been a shift. And so I want everybody to hear this, especially I know I have a lot of Latinos here as well. We hate to always categorize everybody white, black, or Latino. Uh, we do have Asian as well. We can't forget about that. But generally speaking, when you're talking about racial issues in America, most of the main issues are coming either from the way African Americans have been treated or for the way that the Latin Americans had been treated as well as uh, with immigration. Now, of course, right into that is Native Americans, and uh, there has been oppression in different ways. But generally speaking, if you're talking to the average person, the Native American thing doesn't come up a lot is what I'm saying. So here's what I think happened. So track with me because this will explain to you why I've been preaching uh, for an hour and a half every uh, service since the beginning of the year. And it's more like a lecture. And I know those of you who have been to college, it really is more like a college class, what I've been doing here. I talked to our sound, a sound guy in the back, Daryl, and he was like, man, it's just so much information. So, so here's what's going on. So what happened over about the last eight years is there began to be a shift in the way we thought about race, and I think it's actually worse. Now, that's my opinion. Some people think that uh, race was always, racism was always there, and somehow this exposed it. And I really want to tell you I disagree with that, and I want to give you some really prime examples of that, okay? So I'm a white person, and I live in the South, in New Orleans. I was there for seven years, basically from 98 to uh, 2005. So uh, 2004, rather, and I was with real, like, racist, southern, hate, black people, and then I would go around in normal life, and remember, this is an African-American-run city, mayors and all of that, and I just saw the integration. It was beautiful. It was it, it was harmonious. I saw interracial dating, uh, employment. I mean, um, once again, unless you go to the south side here in Chicago, you're not going to see a lot of African-American managers and so forth in your typical businesses around wherever neighborhood you are in Chicago because we can be a little segregated. But New Orleans is not like that. New Orleans, if, if you're at the restaurant, the, the manager is African-American. If you're, if you're doing something, you know, with your insurance company, it, the African-American. So I was pretty much in an all African-American uh, city, and, and they had segregated themselves uh, by white people, white flight, going to the suburbs. And so when I would go out to the suburbs or surrounding areas, that's when I would see a little bit of that, that racism. But generally in the urban area, the kids going to school, playing sports, music, a lot of things in common, you just really wouldn't see it. And as a matter of fact, because I worked a lot in the inner city, I actually had to deal with more racism of black people towards whites uh, you know they would call them names they had a real problem with white people and that just it just was what it was and so now 
Fast forward me coming to Chicago, say 10 years ago. So here I am in Chicago, say it's 2007, maybe the church is only a few years old. I would have told you, I'm not, as a pastor, I am not going to really have to deal with racism. I mean, I mean, look at the schools. Look at like Lane Tech. Look at Foreman College. Look, at, it's, it's totally integrated. Northside Prep, I was invited to go there. So whether it was a private school, a public school, everybody was, was seemed to get along. Only time I would really hear about racism and different things in Chicago, I'm just telling you my experience here. The only time I would hear about it is when people were either, A, involved in, like, gangs or, you know, like the Mexicans against the Puerto Ricans or the Polish against whatever. Like, there was, like, a gang thing affiliated to it. Because I remember one of the guys from our church, he said, you know, I grew up in the Mexicans. We fought the Puerto Ricans. He was about my age, and I, that was a deal back then. Or the only other time it would be brought up would be when we're talking about, like, who people hang out with. And so my daughter, uh, my wife, rather, said that when she would go to uh, her school, which is right off of Cumberland there in the expressway. What's the name of that school? Um, somebody say the name for me. Cumberland Expressway. Taft. Thank you, sir. She would say that people would sit in their own groups. So the Filipinos would all be here. The Polish Europeans would be here. The, you know, whoever would be here. But even then, she said, like, she dated an African-American. She dated a Polish kid. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's kind of funny for me as well. I've dated Af African-American. I've dated African. I've dated Latino. I've dated Asian. So, so is everybody tracking with me here? So in my mindset from New Orleans to here, there may be racism, but it's a small issue. Now, what do I think happened? What do I think changed? And this is my experience, and it may not be everybody's, but here's what I think happened. I think we began to tear down the pillars of America and American exceptionalism, and that began to really bring up what I would call more ethnocentrism and classism more than racism. And so now it's not that really people have picked sides according to color and culture. We're really picking sides according to our political beliefs and our religious beliefs. So let me just give you a perfect example right here. So one of my uh, one of my favorite news uh, commentators that I always stay in touch with is Alan West, an African American colonel that's a conservative, right? So everything that he's putting out, just politically talking, this is the way it's always been. You know, you want your party to win, the other one to lose. There's nothing abnormal about that. But what I noticed this year, because I've been in a lot of elections, I'm you know going to be 40 years old this week, uh, and, and what I've noticed is that he was being a attacked more than ever before because he was black and he wasn't siding with the democratic movement. And so I was noticing as he kept having to put up posts and put up posts, he's not defending anymore like like his positions, like he's actually defending whether or not he's black enough, okay? So now think about this. Black people are on his post calling him an Uncle Tom, calling him a house Negro, calling him all kinds of derogatory names that you don't even hear white people calling black people. Other black people are calling him that, right, to the point where he has to start addressing these issues. Now, this even happens on my Facebook page. So I'm not a fan of Trump in the sense of, like, I loved his character. He was my favorite. I was a fan of Cruz. I thought Cruz was a genuine Christian, conservative values, you know. 
know. But I believe in supporting the great, uh, the lesser of two evils. So I just start letting people know because I'm a public person. I'm like, I'm going to be supporting Trump, not endorsing, not like publishing his stuff. I don't even like his Facebook page. And that's okay if you do. I'm just saying that's just not what I get. I don't endorse people. But I'm liking this. And immediately I start noticing, as well as Dr. Michael Brown did, a man that I really kind of see. I'm similar to him if you ever heard about him. He's an awesome man of God, Pentecostal leader. All of a sudden, I start getting hit by the African-American friends that I have with a lot of derogatory things. So then this is what I do. I start putting up the African-American conservatives that I'm listening to, and I put them up, and then this is what they call them. They call on my Facebook page. They start calling people like Dr. Ben Carson, because Dr. Ben Carson was one of our favorites. It was like between him and Cruz, and I went with Cruz because I thought Cruz had more experience, and he'll make a great Supreme Court justice in my opinion and so anyways I'm supporting them and all of a sudden I'm shifting because I'm going to be a I'm a Republican if I only have really two choices I got to make sure more Republicans get in than Democrats because I'm a Republican by values that's another discussion so I start seeing the African-American audience coming against me and then I start putting up Alan West and these different people Dr. Ben Carson and I hear them on my own page call them these things House Negro Uncle Tom's sellouts. And that's why when I did our God and politics discussion, I brought Thomas Gross. Now watch this. Most of the people commenting on my Facebook page against these African-Americans never face the segregation of the South or in, in, in even in the North. Never faced it. But Thomas Gross is a pastor that was a leader to me in the New Orleans, is old enough to remember segregation. So he comes here via Skype to our God and politics talks and goes, hey, I am getting this from my own people too. And then he starts speaking very openly to the black community that's in our church, telling them, you need to stop believing these lies that people who believe this way are racist, are Uncle Tom's, we're real people. He says, I pastor an all-African-American church, and I left the Democratic Party. Here's his thing, and it's on the, the feed. You can listen to it. He said, I left it because it was a part of the movement of slavery and oppression and welfare and things that kept us down, and that caused a big stir and all of that. And then that's just about the African-American. Now watch. The same thing about the Latino, about uh, the immigration thing. So now watch this. I've always had Latino friends growing up in the suburbs, had a few. My best friend in Bible college, one was uh, Mexican, another one was Puerto Rican. I uh, just had my, they surprised me, 40th birthday party at my house, and one of the videos was from Juan Gonzalez. You don't get any more Mexican than Juan Gonzalez, you know. And I just almost cried seeing him. I love him so much. But but here's the deal. Once again, Latinos been around been around in the Americas in one way or another for a very, very long time. Immigration issues coming and going, things being better or worse. But what happened during these last years to really set rivalry between them? Was it was it a racism? Was there people always hating the Latino people and now they're going to take that opportunity to really push them down because there's somebody like a hothead like Trump? Not at all because I have close, real good friends, family members, people stood up in my wedding that are Latino and also Anglo. But here's what I think happened. Once again, a false narrative began to be shared. Just like the same thing with the African American. A false narrative begins to be shared to where all of a sudden 
The Latino feels like, you, you, you know, you've oppressed us. You've taken things from us. Not even understanding that Latinos have sided with us, have been in our militaries, you know, joined our, in our wars. All of these things were a part of their culture for many, many years. They said, now it seems like there's one issue. But hold on. At the same time, what are we seeing? Socialism being what they're wanting. And so I showed a video to some of my Latino friends. I know that I, if I had time, I could share it here. And so there's an example, a girl from Guatemala, she's speaking. She's saying, guys, why are we today the, the modern-day Latino immigrant here? Not talking about the 100 years, because you guys know as well as I do, there are Latinos who have been here longer than Anglos have been here. Like, my friend's family from California has been here longer than my family. I mean, they can trace their history. And I'm not even talking about the border crossed me type stuff. I'm just talking about they've immigrated, they've become citizens. They're 100 years, 150 years, right? Same thing with Asians coming here. A lot of, uh, the, the, once again, that part of the country, California, there was, there's been Chinese immigration for as long as we can remember but watch this what really happened in this generation was it an issue with racism hating no 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 it became ideological it had nothing to do with Latinos now. So watch again. I have Ishmael Lopez, the son of an illegal immigrant, begin speaking during our God and politics talk. And I can see the fumes start going out of some people's heads because everything he is saying is what you think a white person would be saying. But he's not saying it because he's a white person. He's saying it because he has the values of secure borders, taking care of our nation, not supporting people like Che. Guevara, which during these last eight years, socialist Latino people became heroes. A lot of them in the Latino community. A lot of the protesting changed. So take, for example, if 50 years ago, Latinos wanted to make their voice heard, or 60 years ago, they would do it a certain way. African Americans, they did it a certain way. It, those, those, those ways and methods aren't the same anymore. They're not being done in the same way. So for example, you never saw Latin Americans or African Americans do what they did downtown or protest or spit on people. I don't know if you saw Latin Americans in Mexico spit on Trump supporters or whatever. You never saw this. Now, did you see white people oppressed? I'll even give credit. Yeah, there was still white oppression, but there was a different mindset of the African American, the Latino. It was, we want to be American. We want to change the system, but we don't want to, we don't want to break the foundation. We don't want to erase the history of America. Now watch this. I have to now explain this to you as your pastor, because many of you don't take the time to understand it. Now, some just don't care, and that's okay, but I got to tell you why this is a big deal, why this is a big deal. It's because when I preach on this, everybody get this, and I talk about the church being the pillar of truth. We talk about that. We're setting up our new year. What starts to burn in my heart? What starts to burn in my heart? We've got to change America. The church needs to change America. Now, how are we going to do that? If I was in any other country in the entire world, how would I start this conversation? This is what I would say. We're in a bad place right now. The church needs to rise up and take us to a place where we've never been before. We need to start a revolution of culture here in this church that changes the world. If I was in any other country in the entire world, if I was in the Philippines, if I was in Mexico, if I was in Italy, if I was in China, if I was in North Korea, South Korea, it doesn't matter. I would have to say, let us start now, change, move forward. The United States of America is the only country on this planet and has ever been. Now watch, I'm going to show you all of this. This is the intro to the intro. 
that we can say, let us go back to what they had once said and did. It's the only country that we can do that with. So that's why it's very, very important we understand this. Because I will show you things today in history that they have not taught you in a very long time. I will show you firsthand documents. I'm not some guy sitting in a car making a YouTube video talking stupid right now. I will show you the firsthand documents of the people saying what I'm saying. You will be able to go back home and study it and come out. At me, test me, question me in any one of these areas. And I guarantee you, if you are open to the truth, you will see that this is what is true and that we as a culture have been bamboozled. Let me just make it real controversial, and then I'll give you a whole bunch of facts. Once again, I am no friend of Donald Trump, but I support the moral values that Republicans stand for, anti-abortion, pro-marriage, etc. Now watch this. If you find yourself on the side of Meryl Streep and criticizing those kinds of things, you have to understand Meryl Streep is a God-hater. Meryl Streep hates your belief system. She hates your foundation. She hates that you want to make abortion legal. She hates that you think homosexuals go to hell. She hates that you believe in a literal hell. And so what I have noticed is we have found ourselves, because either of our culture or where we have come from, siding with these kinds of people. Let me just draw out these kinds of people. Those who are socialists, and you will find out today that socialism is a form of sin. It is a sin. It, it, it's not like democracy and socialism are two different ways. Democracy and freedom is a biblical concept. That You, you will find yourself leaning towards socialists. You understand CNN, these news medias, side towards socialism. You will then also see evil entertainment. They side towards evil morality. Evil morality. They are not your friend. So, for example, Che Guevara was not your friend in Cuba. He was not your friend. Young people should not be wearing his shirt. Che Guevara to Latinos is like Stalin to Russians. People fled from Cuba to get away from that. But yet the ignorant young adult here, the Latino wanting to protest in America, thinks Che is his friend. Che is not your friend. Jesus is your friend, okay? The American founding fathers are your friend. Many of them, not all, but most of them are your friend. Now, I'm going to explain this to you as I read this scripture. Can I hear an amen? Some of you are like, Pastor, I just like when you talk about the Bible. Don't talk about this stuff, but I have to, and you're going to see why. It's going to all come together. Trust me, no words were wasted. As you have been here, the times that you've been here, and I'm going fast like this, do you think I ever waste words? Do you think I ever get off on rabbit trails and you're like, why did we just talk about that? You're going to understand exactly why I did that. Just to tell you how serious I take my craft as a preacher, I preach today in the morning, hour and a half today might be around that same time. These messages will be listened to and, and evaluated by myself within 24 hours. I do it with all my messages. I take this very seriously. I hate wasting time. I hate messing around. There's no jokes. There's no stories about my family. That's another time. Today, I have so much information. Consider this a college class Christian history. 
history in America, Christian history in America. You're going to learn it, okay? And it's important that we learn it because the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. Look at this quickly with me. 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 15, the series scripture for our messages this month. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. So God's household is called the what? What do we call God's house? Everybody say it. You got to help me today. What do we call God's house? The church. What else did he call it? The body of Christ and the, bo uh, the bride of Christ. Nothing else could be more serious to Jesus. These terms are the most serious terms. If you say uh, you want to hang out with me, you make fun of my body, you make fun of my nose, my big head, we're not really friends, right? You say you want to hang out with me, you make fun of my wife, my bride, we're not really friends. We hang out, you start making fun of my house, we're not doing good. My family, my kids, we're not doing good. God says, church is my house, church is my bride, church is my body. Don't mess with them. He said, I will build this church and the gates of hell will not prevail. In review for the weeks past, we've been in a new sermon series this year called the pillar and foundation of truth we are learning to build our lives upon the pillar and foundation of the church which is that pillar of truth so that everything else we build can be done right if i teach you what the pillar is you can build your happy home you can build your business you can build your government you can build a nation on these pillars and i will show you that's how united states of america was built now let me help you here i've got so much to share okay now when we look at the founding fathers of the United States of America, many of you here will think that I, and maybe rightly so, I look more like them than you do because you may look differently, different color of melanin in your skin. And so you may see George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, Abraham Lincoln, uh, and he's not a founding father, let's say John Adams, and you may say, Joe, you look more like them than I do, okay? Now here's the deal. I have no heritage or no genealogy to them. I am as disconnected from them as you are. But here's the thing. I am proud of them. I honor them. I look up to them. They did something that has never been done. And all of us should see it the same way. Let me tell you how my family came here really quickly. Okay, so all on one side Polish, all on one side Italian. My Italian mom married my Polish dad, were the first ones to intermarry into different cultures. So my mom's mom and dad, Italian. My mom's grandparents, Italian, on both sides. Does everybody get that? Same exact thing on my dad's side. My dad's mom and dad, Polish. Both sides of his grandparents, Polish. Now what's unique about them is they came to America around the same time in the early 1900s. So my family heritage has nothing to do with slavery. Nothing to do with colonialism. Nothing to do with any of that. Okay? I can't take any of the blame, and I can't take the credit of the good things they did. So watch. But I look back, and I take ownership of those things because I'm a citizen now. And I take seriously what I'm doing here. Even when Daniel was in Babylon, he prayed with the plurality, our, and our sins, and our things. He took him plurality upon where he was because he wanted everyone around him to be safe because he identified with them. Now, here's the deal. My Italian parents, my Italian, uh, the, the heritage that came here, hated, listen to me, everybody listen to me, hated what Italy stood for hated it. Italy was run by the Vatican very long time. Catholicism ruined the culture in a lot of different ways. And eventually, Italy went the way of fascism and sided with Germany during World War II. Do you understand? 
My parents, or grandparents rather, had wanted nothing. They loved the countryside. When we talk about Italy, the country, mountains and the hills and the food, beautiful, loved it. The people, love you, love you. Hated government, hated economy, wasn't good, left for those reasons. Many of you came to America the same way. I love the land of Mexico. I love the people of Mexico. Hate the government. Hate the corruption. Hate how things are done. Same thing on the Polish side. I have like great uncles that were knights and nobility. Done the wrong way. Oppressed the people. Come in the early 1900s. Now what's beautiful, I can't claim any of those things before that, but both of my grandparents went to World War II and fought against the axis of evil. What's amazing about that is that my Italian grandpa went to bear arms, arms and was ready to go to the Italian front if they wanted him to. He was proud to go fight Italians and Mussolini and stop fascism if that's where he sent him because it wasn't the skin color that he was loyal to. He was loyal to principles and the principles of America made that his country. And so Italian and Polish weren't the languages that they spoke. They learned and, and yearned to speak English because they were proud to be an Americans. Now, they loved to speak the language when it came to food or in romance or being cute with one another, but they embraced the culture of America. Now, we're going to get into some American exceptionalism here in a little bit, how it applies to the Bible, but just track with me. And so then what happened is... As they came, they saw what the world around them was like, and they saw America was exceptional, and they were proud to be an American. My grandpa never celebrated, my Polish grandpa never celebrated Polish Independence Day. To him, that was ignorance. I left Poland because it's not a great nation. They don't do things the right way. I don't want to do things the way Poland does. So was he proud of his pierogies and all of those things that grandma taught him? And yeah, but he... Forget a Polish Independence Day, never grew up doing that. My Italian family wanted nothing to do with Roman Catholicism, nothing. They were proud to be Protestants against the Roman Catholic Church, didn't want to pray to saints, didn't want to be under the control of Roman Catholicism. Do you get that? Cultural breaking away from things that were stereotypical to their people and embraced a free culture and embraced it wholeheartedly. That's the way many, 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 many Americans came to this land. Now, here is the problem that we start to hear. The moment I say this is a great nation, people did that, what are the two things that people now instantly want to bring back? And it's an old saying that, that's gone back for a while. When, when, when I say as a pastor, let's go back to these days, let's go back to this, the first argument that's going to come is either from an African-American or an African-American, uh, a person that's having sensitivities, and they're going to go, well, if we go back to the founding fathers, could to Kinte gets locked up and gets put in change. And then the other argument comes from a, a, either a Native American or a Native American sympathizer. If we go back, we're at war, we're losing all of our land, and these evil people are, are, are casting us into, the, you know, out into these trails of sorrows and sufferings. And that is the way, listen to me, everybody pay it, you have got to pay attention, do not miss me on this. That is the way MTV, Hillary Clinton, and people of this culture are setting you up not only to vote for them to get them out of power, but to remove these pillars right here. That is their setup. Their setup is to get you to detach historical fact from America, highlight these bad things, have you turn on American values, and then once you are there, to turn on Christian values. Christian values. Now, I have a lot to say to build this case, so I have to take my time so you don't just think I'm all over the place. Let us start off with world history. 
Let's go back 2,000 years ago to make it fair since the guy holding the mic is the white-skinned guy. Let's start with me, and I'll give you a shortened history of world history. Follow me here, okay? 2,000 years ago, who is the dominant ruling force of the land? Who is the superpower? The Roman Empire. How did they get their power? Conquering the other empires, the ones that came before them. Listen to me. Rome was no friend of mine. What am I now? What am I now? I am a free moral Christian. If you transplant me, the Italian Joe, to Rome as a man loving freedom and Christian values, is Rome my friend? Have you ever heard of the term Roman candles? They persecuted Christians for 300 years. Nero was so sick and twisted that he would take Christians and set them up on the long side of Roman roads and set them on fire. Do you get that? Okay, 2,000 years ago. Let's go through major cultural types in here so that you can know what your people were doing. Italian people are ruling the world oppressively. What are the Asian empires doing? Have you ever heard of the Chinese dynasties? Do you think they're nice people? They are conquering villages. They are taking over land. They are worshiping the emperor. What did it look like in mainland China 2,000 years ago? Almost identical to what it looks like now in North Korea. Emperor worship, enslavement of the people, an aristocrat, an aristocrat cat, class, aristocrats, ruling the land, a nobility rather is a better word, and enslavement of their own people, of their own people, continuing to expand. Where do you think China got its borders from? Do you think they just walked up to another village and said, do you want to be a part of our dynasty? No, they took it over. 2,000 years ago, Central and South America, what's going on there? Aztecs, Incans, and Mayans, what are they doing? Enslaving the other Indian tribes, taking over all of the lands, raping the women, and at one time it was recorded killing, and one of, I believe it was the Incas, killed a thousand in blood sacrifice for their false gods. I take you now as a what? A Christian freedom-loving person puts you back in the Mayan empire. Are they your friend? I take you as an Asian, puts you back into the Chinese empire. Are they your friend? Africa. Let's go to Africa. What was Africa like 2,000 years ago? Slaving and conquering each other village by village, just like the Aztec and Incas. They were at war with Egypt and the Middle East, and we'll get to them in just a moment, enslaving each other. We saw Hotel Rwanda. We understood in a few months there was genocide of 800,000 people. Nothing to do with anything other than tribal conflict, tribal conflict. I bring you back there as a Christian. Africa American loving freedom is Africa your friend absolutely not bring you back to the Middle East 2,000 years ago being ruled mostly then by Rome but the parts that are not being ruled by the pagan empires are they your friend absolutely not everybody get this that was the world Jesus was born into none of our cultures were righteous the Jewish people with the only truth are being oppressed by a Roman empire that is wicked and evil. What does God do? He tells us to go make disciples of the nations. 
Within 300 years, we bring Rome to its knees, not militarily, but through the gospel, and the emperor gets saved. Freedom comes. Christians now rule the Roman Empire. Where does Roman Catholicism come from? At that time, they start ruling, and for 500 years, they develop an infrastructure of power that consolidates everything to the Pope of Rome. He never existed before that time. They develop that office. They consolidate the power to the Pope to be a king. And by 1000 AD, the other churches known as the Orthodox churches split off into the Great Schism. If you think right now, I'm just making stuff up, typing Great Schism, you will see how much history is being dumped on you right now. They split off. That's why the Orthodox, Greek, Roman, Orthodox, they're all part of one movement called the Orthodox Church. They split off at 1000 AD. And their biggest problem was, is Rome, you guys are crazy. You're trying to Christianize everybody and make Rome be the center of the world. It doesn't even make any sense. Jesus is a Jew from Jerusalem. Why are we choosing Rome? That's where you get the title Roman Catholic from. Now watch. God uses this because what happens during that time of wickedness of Rome, the missionaries start going out and they start reaching the other lands. And the gospel is going forth even though the church is becoming dark, ushering in the dark ages. Now what happens around the same exact time the church is getting towards its pinnacle of craziness, what happens? A man by the name of Muhammad gets a vision or an angelic a vision, a visitation, and he starts a religion called Islam. And then what does he do? He has marching orders. And it is so simple. I have a book in the back. I wish I had time to go over it. His whole thing is to take over the world. That is his whole thing, militarily, to take over the world. So he starts conquering the lands around him. He gets as far as Spain. He gets as far as Egypt and these other lands. And he starts to run into the Christian kingdom. And now the Crusades begin. At this time, what does he do? What is he doing? Muhammad, or even earlier than this, enslaves the African people. The African people had only enslaved themselves, and conquering kings had enslaved other people. But the Muslims start a very unique thing. Look it up, history of black slavery. They were already enslaving each other, and the Muslims said, they, this, is what, this is what Muhammad, Muhammad said this about the Ethiopians. They are raisin heads with burnt skins. He was a racist, and he enslaves them and starts the Arab slave trade that not only has gone on to the same time of the Atlantic slave trade a thousand years, when it came a thousand years earlier and keeps going, it goes on today. The Arab slave trade exists today. Have you ever heard of Dofar? Have you ever heard of Dofar? See, this is where i got to slow down for you guys because I don't think you understand today about the Arab slave trade. Let me just show you right here. Dofar slave trade. Who is trading African slaves right now? Muslims. Muslims are trading. Now, I'm not talking about your Muslim friend at work. I'm talking about Dofar Islamic slave trade. Now, when I'm here, I have to use... Um, I have to use Wikipedia because this is the best that I have available to me in front of all of us. The Arab slave trades was a practice of slavery in the Arab world, mainly in Western Asia, North Africa, Southeast Africa, the Horn of Africa, and certain parts of Europe. The number one slaves that the Muslim wanted were blonde hair and blue eyed. That is why today they go after the Yazidis in Iraq, okay? Now, let me just go on here. It says here, this barter occurred chiefly between the medieval area until the 20th century, and that means until 1900s, like, like a couple years ago, these nations even had it legal, legal, legal 
in their bylaws it, up until like I think the last one was like uh, the 19th century. Now, I want to show you where it continues on to this day. This is the history of it, and I want to show you where it's continuing even today. I got to put it in here, Dofar. Somebody help me spell Dofar. Do, D, there we go, Dofar. Let me go here. Dofar, slave trade. Let me just show you here so you don't take my word for it. There we go. Slaves in Dofar, uh, 2010. Let me just see here what I can just pull up quickly. This is just a website just to help somebody. I mean, I'm just pulling it up because I want you guys to be able to study. Former slaves here. It was abolished. In, okay, so the Ottoman Empire didn't even abolish slavery, full-on slavery until in, uh, 1970 over all of its nations. Now, let me just go here. Modern, let me go here. Modern African Slavery, this is where I set up like five links from last service, and I need to set them up here. Here we go. Slavery in contemporary Africa. The continent of Africa is one of the most problematic regions in, slavery, in terms of contemporary slavery. Slavery in Africa has a long history within Africa since before historical records, but intensifying with the Islamic slave trade, the Arab slave trade, and again with transatlantic slave trade. Does everybody get that? It started with them, and it continues with them. Now watch, let me show you right here, the Horn of Africa. I want to show you today. Forced labor right now in sub-Saharan Africa is estimated to be 660,000, okay? Now, here we go, Sudan. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about Dufar. Uh, Dufar is in Sudan, correct? I'm, just somebody Google that. Make sure I'm right with that. Uh, Sudan, maybe, I may be right, but wrong. But here we go. Sud slavery in Sudan began in ancient times and recently had a resurgence, resurgence during 1983 to 2005. Does everybody get this? Just look at what nation Dufar is in, please. It is in Sudan. Thank you. So I should just look at slavery in Sudan. Does everybody see what I'm pointing? Are you seeing the facts? Okay, now watch. Let me keep going with this quickly. When Islam exploited the African people and the, the Europeans come and they start bringing them over with the conquistadors to Latin America, watch this now. Watch what happens. God used the wicked Roman Empire to bring forth the gospel despite its mistakes. Just as God used wicked Germany to do uh, the, the Holocaust and gave Israel back their land because the nations felt sorry for them. were like, my goodness, people really hate you. We need to protect you and give you back your own land. They never had that until after the tremendous suffering of the Holocaust. Now watch this. I, I know Daryl's like, when you get up on these links, I lose people. I got to get them back. I'm totally with I can tell I lost them on that link. Everybody look up at me here watch God used those slave trades and the conquistadors to bring freedom to us watch let me start with the conquistadors conquistadors now get back to the slavery when the conquistadors show up here what's going on pagan human sacrifice and they start to war with each other. But what gets established is Christian values and Christian missions. Why is every Latino in a Catholic home? Because the conquistadors bought you Catholicism. Now what do you need to do as a conquered people learning Catholicism, break away as the reformers did, and find Protestantism, the true form of Christianity. Now watch this, watch. It's the same thing, African slave trade. African slave trade brought over by supposed Christians, right? If I said right now, I'm going to take a second or third wife, start practicing polygamy, am I a good pastor? Am I a good, is this a good church? It's called a cult now, right? 
If I start owning slaves, is that a good thing? Can I, can I do that as a Christian? No, you can't. Whoever tells you that owning slaves is biblical doesn't know the Bible. Look at the Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 10 and onward. Okay, The law is for the lawless, for the sexually immoral, for those who practice homosexuality. For who? For slave traders. The Bible only talks about servitude, working as a part of serving, a work class called servants, not a stealing of a person from their country, not kidnapping them, taking away their identity, and then treating them as animals. Bible never supported it. Some of the greatest church fathers were African. Moses married an Ethiopian. Colors were never an issue until, listen, now you're learning. I can come back and refer to things. Slavery by color was never an issue until the Muslim enslaved Africans and made them specifically a race of slaves. That was the, We can thank the Muslims for that. Now watch. When they came over here on the Atlantic slave trade, watch, watch, everybody listen. What does Louis Farrakhan want to teach you there on the south side? What does he say? He said, you Negroes were sleeping. You became a part of your religion of the slave master. You were bamboozled and hoodwinked. You need to go back to Africa and take on the religion of your ancestors. Hold on. Hold on. Let's stop for a second. Where did they get Kuta Kinte from? Kuta Kinte was going to be a slave either in Africa or America because his own people were enslaving him. He was captured by his own people, sold to the Muslims. The warring tribes would sell them to the Muslim, and then they started selling them to the, to the white people. So no one, you can study, the raiding of their land was not done by the Europeans. A little, little history here and there. But the majority of all of those slaves who were slave traded were taken by their own people. So now you have, a, you have two destinations, Kuta Kinte. You will be a slave here or you will be a slave there. Either way, you are a slave. Do you know that Africans own slaves in America? The first trial that allowed a slave owner to keep his slave, even when they ran away, was done by an African having slaves in America. The Incans had slaves. The Chinese had slaves. Some say they still have them today. Middle Eastern had slaves. Egypt have slaves. You can see the pictures of the different colors of people being brought in with chains around their neck. This is one of the evidences that we know of cross-culturalism in the world. You see the kind of lighter-skinned Middle Eastern Egyptian leading a white person, a Nubian, and someone else that looks Asian. They enslaved people, right? So now watch. Now watch this. Everybody get this. The African slave comes here, and he's a part of a cult version of Christianity, but there's enough truth there that he hears it and he converts to Christianity. What, what causes that slave to convert to Christianity? They convert because they start hearing the things of freedom, that there's a Jesus that died on the cross. And so they start developing their Negro spirituals and they start preaching to each other and they start learning the word of God. Now what is happening this exact same time White people are hating slavery just as much as everybody else. And they're preaching against it and they're known as abolitionists. And they start to work together and form the Underground Railroad. And eventually, excuse me, eventually, watch this. What is the Civil War? Can I show you this? This is something you got to catch. What is, what is the Civil War? It is the only time in human history people died to set free another people. The only time. Now watch this. Every other war, what do you see happening? I'm dying for my country. I'm dying for my people. 
300,000 white boys, plus some African Americans, but mostly 300,000 white boys go to war for who? For black people. Why were they convinced of that? What convinced these young boys, most of them were boys, teenagers, 18, 19, 70, what convinced them to go to war and put a shotgun to a man's head that looks exactly like him, same color of skin? Because they were taught in the church that slavery was an abomination to God. The church instilled in them a hatred of that evil practice until they looked across that battlefield. And you know how they fought back then. They looked across that battlefield and they said, you may look like me, but you are a satanic agent bringing evil to this world. I will point a cannon at you right now. No other time in history, the Chinese people did not go to the Middle East, to die for Middle Easterners to have their freedom. You cannot find another time in human history where people died for another people to be free in their own land and have their own freedoms. It was a unique thing that happened. Now, at this point is where I need to go to the history lessons even more in depth because everybody at this point can just say, well, Pastor Joe, that's your opinion. I don't know about all this. Can I just help you uh, with a few things here? Now, let me show you this, uh, first of all, with, um, let me show you this with, let, let's go to Booker T. Washington, an African-American, let's go to Frederick Douglass. Let's see, Frederick Douglass. Anybody here of Frederick Douglass? Anybody know who he is? Frederick, Fr Frederick, Frederick Douglass, spelling and pronunciation are my friends. This is my hero right here. Study your black history, especially those of you who are new to the American part, uh, you know, American things. Learn about the black history part. This man <coughs> was an amazing spokesman, an amazing leader, an amazing person that had escaped slavery. <coughs> Could you give me a glass of water, please? Thank you. You have to understand him. You have to understand him. You will not hear this. Now, let me just back up. And let me get a little bit more sassy so everybody can know where I'm coming from. I dislike President Obama not because of the color of his skin, thank you, but because he disagrees with Frederick Douglass and the church on the issues of freedom, morality, and what it takes to have a good culture. Well, that's a burn, isn't it, though? That hurts. We don't like to hear that. President Obama is not a friend of Frederick Douglass. He is not a friend. He is not. Let me just give you an example, just, just so you don't think I'm just taking stuff out of context. Let me just show you a quick meme. Let me show you a quick meme right here. Vote your values. Frederick Douglass believed in limited government. Barack Obama dramatically expanded government. Frederick Douglass believed in private wealth creation. Barack Obama believed in uh, redistribution of wealth. Frederick Douglass believed in the value of life. President Obama allowed abortion on demand and wanted to push it even further. Frederick Douglass believed in school choice. President Barack Obama wanted to eliminate school choice. Frederick Douglass believed marriage was defined by God. Barack Obama wanted to redefine marriage and allow the homosexuality thing. He signed it into his presidency uh, and, and it supported it. Frederick Douglass believed in individual freedom and success. President Barack Obama created a culture of independence. Frederick Douglass refused to put political party, government, or president before Jehovah, uh, uh, president before Jehovah God, and he was a Republican. A Republican. Republicans freed the slaves. Democrats were KKK slave owners. And Obama was a Democrat. Now, for some of you, that's a whole lot of things for you to uh, evaluate right now. But the point is, you're not hearing it, and so I have to tell you here. Now, watch this. This thing about Frederick Douglass, we don't understand. He was a runaway slave that brought forth the freedom to his people. What was he known as? An abolitionist and a what? 
an abolitionist and a what? A preacher. You see, he was rejected by the cult slave-owning church that busted hell wide open if they didn't repent of that. And he moved into churches that supported abolitionalism. And if you read right here, it says, <coughs> he subscribed to William Lloyd Garrison. We're going to go to him in just a minute. He subscribed to his journal, The Liberator, inspired by Garrison. Douglas later said, this is Douglas talking, no face and form ever impressed me with such sentiments of the hatred of slavery as those of William Lloyd Garrison. Does everybody get that? Is everybody getting that right there? Yes or no? So who did, who did uh, uh, this awesome preacher, orator, statesman, Frederick Douglass, say showed him, showed him more hatred for slavery and the way to go about ending it? Who did he say that person was? William Lloyd Garrison. Who do you think William Lloyd Garrison was? you think he was an atheist? Do you think he was a Muslim? What does he look like right here? He's a white boy, first of all, isn't he? Because it's not about the color of skin. He, uh, Frederick Douglass had been around plenty of black people to hear their talk in revolution. It doesn't say they didn't have good things. But this man was a hater of slavery and was a preacher of righteousness. And also, I'm so tired of people lumping it together that the same white people that hated uh, 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 slaves also hated women. This was the same group of people that worked in the woman suffrage movement. The same people that were graduating African Americans from Bible colleges, Bible colleges, were the same one graduating women. Can I hear an amen? Now, who was he influenced by? Obviously, we know that this man is a smart man. He's a reformer. But let's see what influenced him to take up such a hatred for slavery. At age 25, Garrison joined the anti-slavery movement. That means there had to be a movement before 1825. Where did it come from? The other Christians that were here from the beginning fighting against it. And he later accredited his joining this to a book of the Presbyterian Reverend John Rankin, Letters on Slavery. What convinced Garrison to hate slavery and to go set the African-American free? The pastor, the word of God. What caused Frederick Douglass to get on fire, to start preaching through the churches, the voice of revolution? His buddy, William Garrison, white and black, it didn't matter. They stood together on those same things. Are you guys tracking with me? Now, this is the part of American history that nobody wants to tell you. This is the part that makes us unique, us. Everybody say us. I have to explain this picture to you one more time for those who weren't here, but many don't understand this. Benjamin Franklin, at the time of us making the Constitution, and I'm going to show you Booker T. Washington and Martin Luther King Jr. in just a moment. But during this time, Benjamin Franklin stops them while they're making the Constitution. Remember, never had been done. Never. Not in France. Not in England. Not in any part of Central and South America. Not in any part of Africa. Not in any part of Asia. This happens. What do they do? He says, he says Mr. President, I suggest that we appoint here a... Um, a chaplain, a Christian pastor, whose duty it shall be to you formally to uh, assemble us and introduce us the business of each day and address the creator, that means to pray, to the God of the universe, governor of all nations, beseeching him to preside in our council. Does everybody get that? 
Enlighten our minds with the heavenly portion of wisdom. Influence our hearts with the love of truth and justice. Crown our labors with complete and abundant success. That's the prayer meeting. Now watch this. Get this. I love this. I hate the Italian government. Get, make, make, make it set in. Set in. Ishmael Lopez loves this, hates the Mexican government. Thomas Gross loves this, hates the Congolese government, hates the Sudan government, hates, hates, hates. What did Jesus say the pillar of truth was? The he said the pillar of truth and foundation of truth is what? The church. Here is the church having its foundation in the government. Now, right here, now people now want to bring up what we did with the, Af uh, the Native Americans and say, okay, well, what about them? What do, you, what do you think the Native Americans were doing when we got here? Were they worshiping God? Were they loving their neighbor as themselves? Were the Cherokee your friend? My friends, they were a warring tribe, warring just like us, conquering. Now, ask yourself this. What other nation in entire human history? I have no love to support America except where it falls in the side of truth. And I'm going to show you this in just a minute and tie it into your life. But follow me here because we got foundations we got to go back to. We are not in a nation without foundations. This nation has foundations. Let's go back to it. Now, watch. Native American, what happened? Fought with us. Maybe we broke some treaties, did some wrong things. Most of them died of disease. Just like how when the Asians came over to Europe, the bubonic plague killed about 10 million Europeans. We're not asking for reparations from the Asian people. When you come to a new group, settle in land, diseases kill people because you don't have the immune system. That was sad. It happened. But guess what? What happened in the midst of that? They warred against us. They picked sides with France. If it would have been up to them, listen to me, listen to me. Everybody get this very carefully because some of you don't understand this. I'm building a point. If America never would have been founded, we never would have protected Germany. The world would be run by tyrants, and the missions that America has sent out never would have reached the globe. The Philippines would not have been protected. They would belong to mainland China and Japan right now. All of Latin America would belong to the Aztecs and the, Inca, the Incans, pagan religion. God used it, better for worse, pick out what you don't like. I agree, chew the meat, spit out the bones. But listen to me, God used it, and he used these founding fathers. And Native Americans who sided against us, went to war against us, have what no Indian tribe has in Mexico. What do you think they came? Look up right now, Mexican history, where it came from, Indians, Native Americans. Guatemala, no place. They may allow indigenous people in Brazil and so forth, but they didn't war against them and try to kill them. In America, Native Americans have land. Better or worse, you can say there's no other nation that has fought with somebody, conquered them, and said, we know we owe you this. We owe you this. Show me any nation. How do you think the Mexican border goes like this instead of like this? They took it from other Indian tribes and asked for it, took it. Why do you think Guatemala goes like this? Look up right now. I, I don't want you to do this because this blew my mind and really hurt me for a long time mentally. If you look up the butchering of those in the drug lords, what they do in those Colombian countries, butcher people. M18 or these gangs in Latin America, and you know why they can't stop them? Because of the corruption of their government. Are you listening to me? America is a very, very unique nation because of this. Because of this. Does everybody get this? This happened. They prayed. Now, let's go back to Martin Luther King Jr. and Booker T. Washington, right? Let's go back to them real quick and put some things in perspective. So Martin Luther King, oh, how can I do this? So Martin Luther King Jr. is coming against slavery in his time, right? Uh, we should say segregation. And when he's coming against it, 
How is he addressing the people about the foundations of America? What he understood, let me get to Booker T. Washington here in just a minute. I got to get to Martin Luther King Jr. And you know, I love Martin Luther King Jr. I tell you about this because I share the same week as his birthday. I already tell you guys that. No, I forget what service I'm in. So I really love that because his birthday is always the first Monday of that week in January, and mine is the 19th, and so I get a week off every, every, uh, every time it's my birthday, our day off in that week. Did I not tell you guys that in the service? That really just showed me I need to slow down because I am so lost in what service I'm in right there. That was funny because I'm like, I thought for sure I had told you guys that. Now listen to this from Martin Luther King Jr. As he comes during this time, does he talk like the people we see now in media? No, he doesn't. Listen to what he says about the founding fathers. Look at the respect that he has for them right here. Here we go. Look at Martin Luther King. Everybody hear the I have a dream speech? Everybody's heard that? Okay. Listen to what he says, please. If I can find it one last time. Help me, Lord. This is what he says. In a sense, because he's standing on the Capitol talking about the I have a dream. This is what he says. In a sense, we have come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic, notice how he takes ownership here. Because he understands this. I'd rather be here than in Africa. I am taking the identity of these Christian men who did the right thing. He uses the plural with honor because he knows Africa is not my friend. I don't want that there. It's not a skin color who makes makes me who I am or who my ancestry was. It's who God makes me who I am, and I see more here than any other place. Watch this. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the inalienable rights, liberty, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. He understood the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, nothing like it, and it was a magnificent work. And it was a promissory note. Do you know what the Founding Fathers were saying during that time? when they were making the Constitution, while they were praying? Can I give you a couple of their quotes? Here's what Benjamin Franklin said, the very one who said, let us pray in this meeting. Listen to what he said. They understood the South-owned slave. They, under, they weren't stupid. They understood that. They hated it. It disgusted many of them. Most of them, founding fathers, did not have anything to do with slavery, but hated it. Watch this. I've been around since the day I've been born, 77. Abortion's been legal. I've hated it this whole time, and I've been preaching against it. You get it? There's still abolitionists and preachers here. We're just preaching for the freedom of the unborn. It was the same way then. If they would have stopped and fought the South, this is what would have happened at the Declaration of Independence. They would have fought the South while they're fighting France and while the North alone is fighting England. America never would have been established. All of us would be a conquered people right now. We'd be under a regime with a king like the king of England, no freedom. We'd be under a, a dictatorship, like one of the many Latino dictatorships, Venezuela. They're eating their stray dogs right now because of the dictatorship or the dictatorship of Cuba where they gave them, they gave them coupons to tell them how much milk they could have. Any friends from Cuba here? I have some friends from Cuba, and they tell me about their moms getting coupons. This is all the milk you can get. Look it up if you think I'm kidding, young people. Venezuela eating dogs right now. They're eating dogs, stray dogs, because of their dictator. We'd be under tyranny. Now watch. Look what Benjamin Franklin says during this time. Look at what he says right here. He says, a disposition, watch, in 1773, a disposition to abolish slavery prevails in North America. 
that many of the Pennsylvanians set their slaves at liberty. So there's people going, man, you're free. We don't like it because they're breaking away from Britain. It was a European slave trade. And many of them came as slaves too. White people came as slaves too. And they're saying, we don't want anything to do with it. And that even the Virginia Assembly has petitioned the king for permission to make a law from preventing the importation of more into the colony. This request will probably not be granted as their former laws of that kind have always been repealed. Now watch John Adams. He's one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, second president. Watch what he says here. The inconsistency of the institution of domestic slavery with the principles of the Declaration of Independence was seen, watch, and lamented by all the southern patriots of the revolution. Do you guys see that? That means he understands. He knew that there was many southern patriots who go, this is evil and this is wrong. What eventually made those southern patriots give up their slaves? Something called the Civil War. The preaching and the abolition didn't work. In America, 300,000 of them died. And still to this day, the number one war where we've lost most people died to free another group of people. Are you listening? That's special. Now, why does all of this come back to us? Let's go to Booker T. Washington, and then I'm going to hit the intro. You guys ready? I got to get there. I got to get there. Let's go to Booker T. Washington, and let's put it together. Let's put it, some of these thoughts together, please. Here is Booker T. Washington. If I had to pick a favorite, he is definitely my favorite. Booker T. Washington, um, this is what Booker T. Washington said concerning the church as he was going around preaching, just like Frederick Douglass. He said, if no other consideration had convinced me of the value of the Christian life, the Christ-like work which is of the church of all denominations in America has done over the last 30 years for the elevation of a black man, that alone would have made me a Christian. Let me just say this again. He says, if I wouldn't have been a Christian before watching all these Christian denominations and churches work together to elevate the black man, I would have became a Christian then. White and black, all denominations fighting against slavery. He said it, it blessed him in so many different ways. Now watch this. Can I, can I blow your mind? If I preach to you, if I preach to you that the church is the pillar and the foundation of truth, I have to prove that to you. I can prove it to you in a three-tier argument. Are you guys with me? Here is the three-tier argument. The three-tier argument is that, number one, all truth is God's truth. Number two, God assigned the church to be the pillar and foundation of truth. And number three, all expression of truth is accountable to the church. Now hold on to your hats and watch this real quick. I got to go through it real quick. Watch this. This is an argument that you can give to any atheist, any unbeliever, any other religion, anywhere you go. This is start right here. All truth is God's truth. Okay? If there is no God, there is no truth. Watch how this works. If there is no God, there is no truth, all that you do is recognize things with your brain activity that function and don't function. Therefore, the use of your brain, the thoughts therein are just an illusion of truth, but truth itself does not exist. This is very true, whether you believe it or not. I listen to the best atheist philosophers all the time. They know this to be, this is not me playing a trick. And I can show you how you can show them right now. You will say to them, do you believe in truth? And they'll say, yeah, I believe in science and all these things. Then you ask them this, do you believe in absolute truth? That things are absolutely true, not relatively true. And they will say, no, I don't believe in absolute truth. And then you can ask them, is that absolutely true? 
because they cannot grant the belief of absolute truth without believing in a pillar that holds up the truth. So if this is truth and we say, yes, I believe in things being absolutely true like math and so forth, you have to have an explanation to why it is true. If it mathematics is just a function of the brain, it is illusory that we're, ampl- uh, that we're working with truth. All we're working with is thoughts that seem to give us desired results. Does everybody get that? Truth can only exist, truth can only exist if you believe that truth comes from a source. Otherwise, it's an illusion. It's an illusion. So let's say you go, I believe in truth. Now we say, what does truth come from? What is that which holds up truth? We say it's God. It's God. Now somebody says, what holds up God? We say that is a nonsensical question. And we, ask, we say, then what's a square circle? What is a married bachelor? To ask what started or created God is a nonsensical question because God does not have a beginning or an end. He is the first uncaused cause. Here's how it works. Everything in matter, space, and time goes under the principle of causation causation. God is a spirit. He is not subject to matter, space, and time. Matter, space, and time has come from God to exist, but it is not God. God created it like I could create a computer and not be a computer. Therefore, these things exist, starts and finish, causation. These things exist out uh, within the parameters of God's creative control. So think of that statement. I will defend that all day long. All truth is God's truth. Does anybody disagree with that? If you do, talk to us later. All truth is God's truth. How many believe that? If you don't have a God in the equation, there can be no truth. Truth does not exist. It's only illusory. And I can give you atheistic scholars that believe that. Now, the second thing that we have to see is do we believe that God's truth is found in the Bible through Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is verified by the resurrection. The most verifiable thing about Jesus is his death, burial, and resurrection. All the claims of Christianity rise and fall on that. We believe that to be true for other reasons. Don't have time to get into that, but I know most of you do. Therefore, if that's true, the message he spoke about is more likely than true than not true. Now, people can make their decision on whether or not they believe in the inerrancy or the perfection of the Bible, but the closest thing we have to Jesus' words, according to all historians, is the Bible. So whether you place it all the way to perfect or somewhat perfect, the bottom line is the man who rose from the dead said these things are at least close enough to them. And what did his followers say when they heard him talk or claim that he talked to their hearts? Paul says that he said, Jesus said to him, that the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. So if you are a Christian who believes in the resurrection of Jesus, this is more than likely true for you. Is this true for you? Could you believe that? Now, can you prove that? I can prove it to you. I can prove it to you. You know how I can prove it to you? By three major truths right now that you can test and see whether or not they fall into their uh, to these parameters let's look for three pillars in our culture as we have three pillars right here the church has been and always will be the only pillar of morality now that's another discussion i could be here all day but there would be no true understanding of morality unless there was a church. Now, let me define this for some of you who weren't there. I'm not talking about a church made of brick and stone. I'm talking about church being disciples of Christ, following his teachings. Did you guys get that? What's the second one? The scientific revolution. Where did the scientific revolution happen? In the Christian people. 
Why did it work? Why did science work? When the scientist climbs the mountain, does all the things he could do in the laboratory with a microscope or a telescope, and he climbs his mountain of knowledge, what will he find at the top of the mountain? The Christian theologian and philosopher. Modern science came out of the teachings of Augustine and Aquinas. And these men, they believed that a creator had made a creation. And that the creation was knowable by certain laws because the character of the God of the Bible was of certain laws. Okay? I don't even have time to get into that. I have all the quotes. I have all the things. As a matter of fact, just for your own viewing pleasure, I put the links right here just so you could understand a little bit about the scientific revolution and how it was not an accident that it happened with the Christian people. But what is that third pillar? The third pillar that I can show you is freedom in government. Now watch this. Watch this. The church shows us how to live morally, teaches us, what it means to discover knowledge and then shows us how to govern each other. Do you understand this now? That's why I was trying to show you this about America. That's why it was doing what it was doing the way it was doing it. And so if we leave these accountabilities, if we take out the pillar of the church in morality, we take out the church out of our science, and we take the church out of our government, what are we left with? Look at this, what we're left with. If we remove it from morality, good will turn to evil. If we take it out of democracy, we will be left with tyranny where we all were in all of our cultures. And if we take it out of science, what do we have left? Science fiction. Now watch this. I just I so many things I need you guys to catch here. Help, help me get it, Lord. Watch this. Here we go. So how do I know to be moral? How do I know how to treat my wife? Did the Aztecs teach me that? Did the Incans teach me that? Did Great Britain teach me that? The Church of England teach me that? Did the Roman Catholic Church teach me that? No. How, what, what teaches me and how do I learn to be good to my wife, to my kids? The church teaches me that. The pillar and foundation of all morality in the family. How am I going to be moral in the job? Not steal from you, not take more from you, not be a greedy corporate company, not to allow those things to sell you bad products. How am I going to learn that? I'm going to learn that from the church right here, right here. How about science? How am I going to know the boundaries of science, the origins of science, why science works, why truth is knowable, why, can, why we can interact with the world with the tools that we have because there's a God, because we're creating his image. I take out the foundation of the church and that teaching. What am I left with? Science fiction. We came from animals. Something can come from nothing, a big bang. Right? And we ask who banged it, what banged. And that's the foolishness of that worldview. They don't know who banged it, what banged, but yet they'll believe in that so they can go to the next thing to teach you you're from animals, but they can never show you where life came from from the beginning. So they take all these half-truths, bring it together, and it becomes science fiction. And you wonder why people in our world live like animals. You teach them they're animals, and you divorce science from the church. That's what you're left with. And then how about government? How about government? You take God out of government. What do we swear on? What's at the inauguration? What's the president going to swear on? the Bible. What holidays do we celebrate in this nation? Muslim holidays, Hindu holidays, what, what holidays? Christian holidays. What days do we have off? Christian days, right? What did they say in our Pledge of Allegiance or on our dollar bill, all these things? Christian things. So if we take out Christian components, what are we left with? Tyranny. Tyranny. Now i got to say this to you before I move on because this is the point that so many people go, I'm not sure whether or not I can believe this. Here's where i got to end it and then move on to the message today. In 1838, a French historian came to America, and I'm, I'm lagging here just a little bit, guys, so just let me see if I can fix it here. A French historian came to America, 
And what he did was wanted to know in 1838 what makes America so different. And the problems that French, the Fran, uh, France was experiencing and the problems that Great Britain were uh, uh, you know, experiencing were all because men wanted to have freedoms. They wanted their freedom of religion, freedom of government, away from a king. And so what happened was they, they saw that America had been accomplishing these things, that there was entrepreneurship, that there was freedom uh, of, of the church in one denomination because, you see, for them, they had the Church of France and the Church of England, and they understood understood there was a separation here, but yet we were still Christian. And so this is what he wrote, and, and th our internet is down right here, and so I want to get to it. Make sure that it's plugged in there in the back, please, because it might have just went down over there. This is what he wrote, and I wish you could see it up there because it's so powerful. He said, upon my arrival, 1838, this is the man Alex, Alexis, rather, a French historian. This is what he said. Upon my arrival in the United States, the religious aspect of the country was the first thing that struck my attention, the religious aspect. He said, and the longer I stayed there, the more I perceived that the great political consequences resulting from this came from their religion. Hold on. This is a guy from France. And he says, the freedom that they have here, this is before the Civil War, came from the religion. Let's keep going. In France, now watch what he says here, because sometimes people go, well, it was just a coincidence that we happen to be Christians, but we would have discovered democracy without it. It was a coincidence that the, the, the scientific revolution came from Christians. We would have discovered without it. It's, it's a coincidence that the most charitable, kind people have been Christian. We would have discovered it without it. No, 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 no. He said in France, he noticed that the spirit of religion and the spirit of freedom marched in opposite directions. The Church of France was going this way, and those who wanted freedom were going this way. France didn't want to give the Church of France didn't want to give them the freedom, just like the Church of England didn't want to give us the freedom. The Roman Catholic Church didn't want to give us the freedom. But in America, he says, this is I wish you could see it so you don't think I'm making it up. For in America, if it does not uh, impart a taste of freedom, it facilitates the use of it. So our religious belief gave us a taste of freedom and facilitated the use of it. Indeed, it is in the same point of view that the inhabitants of the United States themselves look upon their religious belief. So that means when you look at the people of the United States, they tell you our freedom and our religion, and put morality, are all going in the same direction. Hello, somebody. Those pillars were built somewhere before in a country. Do you know what country those pillars? Morality? Science and learning and government were built by the church. Do you know of such a country? United States. Let's keep going. Religion in America must be regarded as the foremost of the political institutions. Everybody say the foremost. Thank you. The foremost of the political institutions of that country. For it, excuse me, it does, I'm repeating myself. Here we go. I don't know whether all Americans have a sincere faith in their religion for who can know the human heart, but I am certain that they hold it to be indispensable to the maintenance of Republican institutions. Dear God, help me get this up. I want you guys to see this so bad. Unplug them back there. Oh, it is refreshing. Thank you. You know what? Put on a little music in the background. I want you guys to see this. Talk amongst your friends and ask yourself, do you even believe what pastor is saying? Just ask them. I, want, I don't want you to miss this. Put on some music in the background, please. I want you to see this up here. MPI guests, thank you. Thank you. Let's see if we can get it up.
got it on guest. I can't get onto it unless it's all in the same thing. But there's, you said you restarted it. I want this to be in front of you guys because I want you to hear it's coming to a point. It's the crescendo of what I've been saying this whole time. I got it. Thank you, brothers. Okay, I want you guys to see this. This is for your learning as well as mine. This has changed my life, and I hope you take it as more than just a coincidence. Look at this right here. I don't know whether all Americans, you need to pause that for me, please. Make sure you pause and not just lower it. Otherwise, it will keep going. Thank you. I don't know whether all Americans have a sincere faith in their religion, because it can be hypocrites. For who can search the human heart? But I am certain that they hold it to be indispensable to the maintenance of Republican institutions. This opinion is not peculiar, or particular rather, to a class of citizens or a party, but it belongs to the whole nation and to every rank of society. It's not just the African American, it's not just the rich, it's not just the poor. They all believe that their government was gifted by the church with the wisdom of the Constitution to uphold morality, their colleges, their science, and to uphold their government. They all believe that. 1836, a man from France is telling us that. Now watch this. In the United States, the sovereign authority is religious. There is no country in the world. Look at what he says, historian. He knows about France. He knows about England. He knows about these places. No country in the world where the Christian religion retains a greater influence over the souls of men than in America. And there can be no greater proof of its utility and of its conformity to the human race than that its influence is powerfully felt over the most enlightened and free nation of the earth. Y'all don't See, y'all don't get that. I can tell by looking at some of y'all, y'all don't get that. You need to go back to the, another country to go figure it out then. Where do you want to go back to? What, 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 do, what do you want to challenge with this? Somebody wants to say a European place, Switzerland, Neverland, some of these European places. Once again, who's protecting them? Who protects Switzerland right now from Russia? Who protects them from Germany? Who protects Southeast Asia? Who does? Who does? Come on. Why do you think God has blessed us to do that? So that the church can reach the nations. We send out more missionaries and do more Bible college in the entire world. And what is, the, I wish I could just shake this pillow so hard and not scare you guys. But I wish I could shake it so hard. What is the devil doing? Church, you better get out of science. Church, you get out of education. Get out, get out of Harvard. You don't belong there no more. Go on, get. Come on, church. Get out of morality. You don't have the right to tell a woman what to do with her baby inside a womb right now. We can kill that baby if we want to. Get out of our way, church. Meryl Streep don't like you no more. Going to tell you what she thinks about you. Come on, church. You don't get to tell us that uh, gender is decided by physical and physiology and body parts. We get to decide up here in our brain what gender we are. Get out of our bathrooms, church. Come on. Come on, church, get out of our government. Get out of our government, you bunch of white slave owners. You bunch of racists. Y'all used to be racist. Get out of our government. Give it to us socialists. Give it to Che Guevara. Give it, give it to somebody who doesn't have the values of these men. 
Because you had your chance, white Christian America. You ruined it for the Latin Americans. You ruined it for black people. Look at you. We'll let the Muslim have more honor in our culture, pray five times a day in our government than the Christian. Don't let a Christian come to Congress and talk about heaven and hell. Don't let a Christian preach like Booker T. Washington and Frederick Douglass. Don't let a Christian be like Martin Luther King Jr. anymore. Get out of our morality. Get out of our education. Get out of our government. And he said there was nothing more powerful in America than the church and it brought about the freest nation on the earth and we by God's grace and that's we every single person here we have protected the world from the tyranny of Latin America the tyranny of Africa the tyranny of the Middle East and Egypt the tyranny of Roman European empires the tyranny of Asian empires and dynasties we the people here have kept them free in the United States, the influence of religion is not confined just to the manners. Oh, we're just kind of praying Christian like every now and then we celebrate Christmas. No, but it extends to the intelligence of the people. Christianity, therefore, reigns without obstacle by universal consent. Now watch this here in closing to this introduction. I sought for the key to the greatness and genius of America in her harbors, in her fertile fields. Every place has beautiful land. Italy has beautiful land. Latin America has beautiful land. America has beautiful land. Russia has beautiful land. Africa has beautiful beautiful land all of these places Philippines beautiful land beautiful land I looked for her greatness I looked for her genius in her harbors her fertile fields boundless forests in her rich mines her vast world of commerce in her public school system institutions of learning I sought for it in her democratic congress and in her matchless constitution not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power you got to understand it was the preachers preaching like this that's why I had to say everything to say that sentence Every, not one word was wasted God help me I, everything I said was to say that sentence we have proved it in the scientific revolution. We have proved it in our morality. And America proved it in its democracy. The church is the pillar and the foundation of all truth. That's why I'm not Roman Catholic, though I was born Italian. That's why I'm not an Italian, though my family came from there. That's why I'm not in Poland, though I love a pierogi every now and then. I am a God-blessed American because these men laid down their lives for the thoughts of freedom for everybody. And Martin Luther King understood that he called it a promissory note. And he fought for that ideology to be fulfilled. Booker T. Washington and Frederick Douglass preached it up and down this culture. Latino pastors alike are preaching up and down this culture understanding that this nation if any nation in the world has the hope of revival and sending out missionaries and bringing forth the second coming of Jesus it is this land right here if we stop protecting Israel America stops protecting Israel it will be engulfed by the Middle East and God promised to bless any nation protecting Israel we are their sole and powerful ally 
God has used us. And now I thank God that the other nations send missionaries to us. But you go and talk to these Filipino brothers and sisters here. You talk to every single nation that visit us here in this church. The Brazilian, like Lauda, you ask them, where did you get the gospel from? Nine times out of ten, it was American missionaries going to North and South Korea, going to China, going to uh, the, the Southeast Asia, going into India, going into those places. And my friends, it's your turn. This is what I'm talking about. If you were in Mexico right now and I was your pastor, I would say, guys, we need to change the government, get rid of the corruption, let's go forward. This introduction would not have been here. If I was in Italy, this introduction, God no, this introduction would not have been here. It would have been we established it the total opposite way. If I was in Great Britain, this introduction wouldn't have been here. What other nation do you want? If I was in the Congo, wouldn't have been there. We actually live, just let this blow your mind right now, especially you young people. Imagine buried, uh, finding buried treasure. You live in a nation of pillars that have been buried that you literally can go and bring back. You can read Booker T. Washington. You can read them and hear what they did. Hear their sermons. Hear how they preached. I just, you guys don't even have time for me to say it all. But remember we talked about Benjamin Franklin and how he said we should have a congregational, uh, we should have a congressional chaplain. Do you know who this is? This is how they would preach. This is how the Methodists preached in Chicago. This is where Northwestern came from, these Methodist preachers, campfires going around the sides. This is how abolition was done. And do you know what? This is George Whitfield. I double-dog dare you to look up online right now. George Whitfield sermons. George Whitfield. Jonathan Edwards, Jonathan Wesley, Asbury in Kentucky, these brothers, uh, William Seymour, Charles Finney, black and white, preaching all across this land, bringing forth freedom. The ones that didn't bring forth freedom were rebuked as cultists. You're a cult, you enslaved people. You're no different than a polygamist, a murderer, anything else. You're a cult. You're a false. They rebuked them with flames of fire, flames of righteousness. Where's the next George B. Whitfield? Benjamin Franklin, signer of the Declaration of Independence, went to this man's church. They couldn't even fit in the building anymore. They were outside. He was a smart man. Benjamin Franklin just wanted to see how many steps he could take until he couldn't hear George Whitfield anymore. These Methodist preachers would preach to their throats, would bleed outdoors to tens of thousands. Benjamin Franklin said that he could hear George Whitfield preaching for a country mile. That's why. Why do you think? Why do you think? Think. That's why I want to be like, is anybody home? Why do you think Benjamin Franklin says, get them in here? We need them before we sign the Constitution. Get a preacher in here. Get a man or woman of God here to pray for us, to teach us the word. Then we'll make our decision. Show me one nation that did that. None. Any ones that are doing it now are following after us. And guess what? Praise God where they're coming from. The African nations. African nations are getting a revolution and they're setting themselves free from Muslims and tribes and they're implementing Christian constitutions. Freedom of religion. Remember, what, what, what did we ever do to infringe on people? Here, here's how our Christianity infringed on people. We're going to pray before our schools start. We're going to pray when we inaugurate our president. We're going to pray before Congress. We'll celebrate Christian holidays. That's it. You don't believe in it? Be silent when we pray. You don't believe in our Bible, you still swear on it in our courtroom. You'll swear on it to go into public office, but you don't have to believe in it. 
That was it. Nobody making you go to church. Nobody. That, that was the separation of church and state. Not one denomination saying we all have to be Baptists, all have to be Presbyterian. No, it, it's a freedom for all of us to choose. They all. They, some of them were congregational. Some of them were Presbyterian. Some of them were Puritan. Some of them were Quaker. So they knew not to make a Church of America. So there wasn't a government interference. And then what they said to the to the people is, we now won't make you do this. But what are our days of remembrance here? Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, Christian holidays. What are the days we have off? Saturday and Sunday, the Lord's Day, right? We pray before Congress. We swear upon the Bible. In God we trust, though, what was added to the Mint in 1950 was still already in our Mint from the colonial times. So what do we do in this country right now? How many want to make a difference for Jesus? How many want to do this thing for the Lord? Can I get an amen in closing? Here's what I want us to do today. I want us to look at what Metro Praise is offering you and your family and to come back and to say, I'm ready to make a difference. Look what Jesus said. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Does Jesus, who's over America today? Who has all the authority of America? Who has all the authority of China? Who has all the authority over you? What's his name? Jesus. So I'm not like pro-American. I'm pro-kingdom of God. And if America is the best train going towards the kingdom of God with freedom, I'm going to ride it. And that's why the devil attacks it so much. And that's why some of you came here. Let's just be honest. Let's just be very, very honest. I love a multicultural church. But some of you have come here and you've never heard that before because they don't teach it anymore. And you think, and I don't mean this to be rude in any way, and, I don't, and I'm not saying like you have to vote the way I do, but let's just be honest. Some of you think that, I'm just picking on Hillary Clinton. Like, uh, you know, I just don't like her. I'm more Republican or Barack Obama, you know. No, 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 no. I hate their ideology. I love the person. I hate their ideology because they're messing with these pillars. That's why I asked on my Facebook page. I said, I'm not trying to be rude in any way. I said, but will anybody who's supporting Hillary Clinton show me a pastor that I respect verify the morals and integrity, those pillars in her life? And nobody could. The only one that I heard on a radio show said, I love Jesus, I love all this. And the reason why I can vote for a pro-abortion, pro-this, pro-this, all this sinful stuff is because they do good stuff for people. And I go, then you don't even understand their politics. Socialism never helps the people. That's why Booker T. Washington, those guys were Republicans. They understood if you divide the wealth. That's why all these Latin American countries are broke. They're poor because they're socialist countries. It doesn't work. That's why our Latino brothers here, they love what America has become. Not because they don't love Mexico or going to their family, but they understand the system. It's a biblical system. It's the, the Bible system of commerce, of capitalism, not corporate greed, but of being able to have independent wealth, not being controlled and capped by the government. So who has all the authority of all the nations? Jesus. Therefore, go, connect. Go and connect with people, guys. Make disciples, everybody say mentor, of how many of the nations? So we're supposed to put these pillars up where? Every nation. Should we put up the pillars in the Philippines? Should we put up the, uh, the pillars in uh, Honduras and Nicaragua and Mexico? Should we put the pillars up in our city? That's right. So this doesn't mean, now watch this, this doesn't mean I'm in charge. This means we're in charge. Because can I be in all places at one time? Of course not. So you go be a pillar on your job. Establish these things. Go be a pillar at your school because you are a part of the foundation. Go be a pillar in your family. 
Go be a pillar wherever you go, and God will establish those three things. What a great illustration. Wherever you go, God will establish morality through you. You'll do the right things for the right reasons. You'll love God and people. Let him establish true science and learning. Science is not, by the way, just what people do with laboratories. Science, literally in the Greek word, just means learning. Wherever you go, learn for the glory of God. Learn more about everything for the glory of God. And whatever you do, support freedom. Support freedom. We, we don't, I, I, I don't have anything against other religions. They never did in America. We, we, you could be whatever you want here. It could be whatever you want. But it's no coincidence the first war we ever fought is the American nation in Tripoli. If you ever hear the, the, the song for the Marines over the shores of Tripoli, there, that was against Muslims. Our first war was against Muslims, and our last war will be against Muslims. That's another discussion. But anyways, you can be Muslim. You can be whatever you want here. But here's the freedom that we give. It has boundaries. Can't kill unborn children. Can't change your gender. You can't talk in our public schools about oral sex and anal sex to fifth graders. You can talk about it in your home. If you want to be perverse in your home, you can be as gay and homosexual as you want to be, but you don't force that into our textbooks. You don't force it into our media, and you don't tell us that we have to make a cake for you to have a gay wedding. They, they had a guy call up and say, will you make a cake for me that says, I don't like gay weddings. They called up San Francisco bakeries. They said, of course we won't put that on there. I don't like gay weddings hung up the phone, but laws enforce bakers to do things against their conscience. Do you understand? You couldn't make a Muslim have serve pork at a restaurant, but they make Christians violate their conscience because somehow we deserve it. We Christians, we were the oppressors. We're the ones that make trouble in the world. Don't worry about them. But we need to bring freedom back in our government. You know, the best place Mayor Rahm Emanuel could be right here. I guarantee you Mayor Rahm Emanuel doesn't know this, and it's all in Wikipedia. It's, I mean, I'm not saying Wikipedia makes it right, but it's all common knowledge. That, that historian, that's just one historian. All the people understood these things. Why do you think, like I said, on our monuments, all of these things, the heroes, I mean, the Ten Commandments, how do you think Ten Commandments got in our Supreme Court? Do you know where church used to be held in Washington, D.C. before they built a church big enough? It used to be held in the congressional offices uh, and in the meeting place there. Thomas Jefferson, an atheist who didn't really have much to do with God, said, you guys can have church here because he knew these were his brothers, these were his friends, these were the ones who made America great. He never tried to take away that freedom from them. He let them have church in the state capitol. Connect, mentor, send. Everybody say connect, mentor, send. Thank you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always. How many want to be sent out to change the world? What does it look like? Connect. Here's what connect looks like. Let's bring people to Jesus so that he can carry their burdens. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. How can you find rest in Jesus? Number one, be born again. Number two, stay connected to Jesus. Number three, get in this church and get involved. How do you do that here? Everybody say life groups and church. Can you think of a better way to get connected? So pick a life group this week where you can connect with other Christians and learn to be that strong pillar in your culture. The next thing, mentor. How do we make these disciples that we teach them to do everything Jesus commanded? How we do that is by being teachable. If you know, write this down and you'll love me for it. Come on, write it down. If you know everything, you can't learn anything. If you know everything, you can't learn anything. Be teachable. We all have things to learn. How many think I'm still learning?
How many understand I'm going back to get my doctorate? I've already started part of it. I'm going back. I want to learn more. Stay accountable. Have somebody in your life you can trust and teach you and you teach them. It's, it's mutual. Always hunger and thirst for more of God. How many want to see more of God in this world? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that the prayer? How do you do that here? Join a 101 and then go into the 201. There are great churches in this nation, and there are great churches in this city. There are great preachers. There are great music bands, great things for Sunday school. It blows my mind that our church grows as it does with that room for our Sunday school. You guys know of about 10 churches just in this area that have twice as much space just for the nursery. Thank you for trusting us with your kids. We keep it clean and safe in there. You know we do our best until we can grow out of this place. But watch. The one-on-one discipleship is what separates us. We're not the only ones, but we're very few. Part of a very few in this culture that actually care enough to take time to disciple you and get into your life. I have people leave this church because sometimes they get mad at us and they're like, you guys don't care. You don't care. And then they go to churches that really don't care. And then they come back and go, I think you guys care quite a bit. Uh, You guys actually assign us a one-on-one mentor. When was the last time you've been to one of those churches and they said, we're going to have somebody get your number, hang out with you, and that's what they do until you said, I've had enough. I know these churches, and I know these pastors, and most of them say, teach me how to do what you're doing. That's why I wrote the book, Discipleship-Based Churches. Not the only one. I'm just saying a very few number. And then the 201. What's the last thing? We are sent out to preach the gospel to all the world. Remember we looked at that picture of, of George Whitfield? This man's my hero. I want to preach like George Whitfield. I love television. I hope that I can be on there one day. We do the webcast, but I want to be where the people are. I want to be where this guy is with a mug of beer. I want to preach where the people are. I've been to 12 Mardi Gras, preached on Bourbon Street more times than you can imagine when I lived in New Orleans. I preach at Wright College now every, uh, every Monday. We have 10 different times we go out and preach the gospel. Why do we preach so much? Because that's what Jesus did. That's how Jesus spread the revolution. That's how they spread abolition. That's how they spread women's suffrage. That's how they spread it was preaching. You know, in the American Revolution, you know who the British hated the most? Who are we going to take out? Who are we going to take out? They wanted to take out the preachers. You know what they called us? The Black Robe Regiment, because we preached in black robes, and after we took it off, we would fight them. Because if we could tell our people that what they were doing was for the just cause of heaven, you know, those things they would put on their banners, the people would leave their families and go fight. And the preachers looked them in the eye and said, young man, just your age, young man, If we don't go fight for our freedom, we'll be under the tyranny of Great Britain all of our lives. And I would go fight with this young man. We would fight tyranny. It's time for us to go preach the gospel, not to bear arms. I don't want to fight, but I thank God we have Christian military. But we need to bear our arms here spiritually. Amen? Rachel, would you come, please, in closing? You guys have been amazing. You guys will um, hopefully have a lot to think about this week. Amen? When we're sent out, what should we be sent out to do? To see the Lord, see the harvest, see the need, see the personal ministry. How many of you can see the Lord in your life today doing great things? How many of you can see around you the harvest that is ripe, ready for the Lord to make new disciples? Right? How many of you can see a need that you personally can meet? So like you can go, man, tomorrow there's always that lady that complains about her weekend. I'm going to be there and tell her about Jesus. Or young people at school, there's always that group of kids that are up to no good or they sit by themselves, they're lonely. I'm going to go talk to them and then see your personal ministry. And that's why we do the evangelism. If I can train you to do it when we're all doing it together, you can do it by yourself. Where's the examples of this in the Bible? 
Elisha and Elijah. Elisha met Elijah, and Elijah said, come follow me, man. Let's connect. He started to mentor him and train him, and then he sent him out to be the next prophet. Remember Peter? Jesus said, come on, Peter. And he used the same lingo he understood. He was like, hey, you like to fish? I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Come follow me. Spend his life with him. And then he said, go out and do likewise. You ever read the book of Timothy? It's Paul's student. It's Paul's disciple. Paul found Timothy at a great time in his life. Others had left Paul, and God sent him this new young man. Paul loved him, considered him like a son, spent his life with him, mentoring him, telling him all that he knew, and then he sent him out. You want a model for business? You'll find it right here. Reach one to teach one to reach one. You work in customer service? Use this model. You want to expand your business? Use this model. You want to be great in education? Use this model. This is the model of revolution. I bring you alongside of me. You watch what I do. Then I watch you do what I used to do. Then I send you out to do what you do with someone else watching you. You get that? That's how revolutions are started before there was ever microphones, webcasts, internet. 300 years the Roman Empire was brought to its knees. Within the last so many years, just in America, the gospel message is spreading all over the world today. And the sad thing is, is we forgot it and they remind us of it. The largest Pentecostal nation is no longer America, it's Brazil. The fastest growing church is no longer America, it's China. One in four Latin Americans believe exactly the way I just spoke today. There's revivals in their nations. America once was on fire, burning bright. It's our turn to do it. I thank God that we can go back and do missionary work. But the Lord put on my heart to help you in this sermon series. The land that you live in, let's see revival come here again. There used to be revivals in every major city you can imagine. I showed you the one in New York City, 10,000 businessmen off Wall Street praying every day. There used to be Chicago's and revi uh, revivals in Chicago. Many of these churches, especially in the Assemblies of God, were started in revival. Stone, Stone Church Assembly of God on the south side was started in revival with all the immigrants. Belmont Assembly of God was started in revival with the Italians. I could keep you here all day. Revival has marked our nation. Los Angeles, Azusa Street Revival had one of the greatest revivals of American history, and it was led by a black man, my hero, William J. Seymour. What will you do now for the Latino community? What will you bring to your family, to those in your culture? What will you bring to your neighbors? How will you change the world, in other words? How will you change your family? Let's do it through Connect, Mentor, Send, Making Disciples. Let's do it through the nation that God, in the nation God has called us. And so this is how I want us to end our service. Gentlemen, would you come and move this for me, please? And thank you again for your patience. But this is how I want us to end this service, is that I want us to stand up individually. And if you have to go, you can go. When you stand up, you're more than free to leave at any time. I always say church starts when you get here and ends when you leave. That's up to you. But we do normally have an official start time and an end time. I'm sure it would be nice that we would have a countdown to end like we have a countdown to beginning. Amen? Like start counting me down, you know. Get ready to go. You're about ready to be out of here, you know. But watch this. Watch this. This is how we're going to end. It's going to be amazing. You're going to stand up in just a few moments as a pillar raising your hands up to heaven proclaiming to God individually out loud for us to hear where you want him to set you in this country in this city to change the world I'm going to pray 
and I'll go first with my wife. We'll have a formal dismissal afterward. The informal dismissal is whenever you're done, you can go. But we will formally dismiss when everybody's had the chance to stand up and say, God, I'm here to be a pillar. I'm here to change the world I live in. I'm not looking for skin color to be agreement or national borders to be agreement. I'm looking for the kingdom and for something to happen within. And if you look different than me in color and skin and hair and you got the kingdom within, you and I are brothers and sisters. And the people who live in other nations, I share more in common with than them white boys going to universities. Because we're building the same kingdom, but in our own place. Are you listening to me? So I'm not here to build an ethnocentric of an ethnos, one ethnic group. No, I'm here to build the kingdom culture. Jesus culture. And so when I find commonality, I don't care if you wakeboard. I don't care if you like rock and roll. I don't care if you grew up in a small town. That doesn't matter to me. Do you love Jesus? Do you love his kingdom? Are you waiting for it to come? Are you making disciples that make disciples of the nations? Nancy, would you stand next to me, please? Can we get an attitude of prayer right now? I'll pray and then I'll go first. Father, I thank you today that you brought us today to hear your word, God. I did my best. I know it's so much information, Lord, but I pray it doesn't get lost. I pray that people go back and look at the notes. They'll study it for themselves. Lord, you know me. I'm a lover of righteousness. I have no favorites. I don't play favoritism. I would have nothing good to say about America's past if it wasn't so. And so, Lord, I pray those of us here today see something worth redeeming, an ancient well worth redigging up, a pillar worth, worth finding again and building upon so that this nation can continue to bless the world so that we can continue to protect Israel and we can continue in our freedom, in our education, in our morality, change the world. And I know I'm not being selfish in this, God, because that's what you taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, and I love every nation. And my friends that are missionaries, I just got a message from my friend. It's a missionary in Japan this week. And I pray you do it in their nations moving forward, that they'll bring a revolution that will actually change their constitution and they'll put a God we trust on their dollar bills, oh God, and they'll swear upon the Bible and their political offices, Father God, will be governed by these principles. Do it in us. I'll go first.